Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we kick off, just to let you know that we do need your support, we rely on you, we need listeners to pay it forward to keep the podcasts free and available to everybody. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack and it keeps the platform and it keeps the platform alive. Even if it's not thriving, it keeps us alive. Um, we're also doing an annual option for people who want to gift a Patreon subscription to someone. All you got to do is email info at tortoiseshack.ie with the subject gift subscription and we will try and do the rest for you uh, thanks for listening thanks for the support and then another little twist november 26th if you're listening to this in advance get out show the government that we've had enough join the raise the roof campaign it'll be a great day i promise you'll be a lovely family friendly event but above all else we have to start telling the government that we are not going to take this anymore the housing emergency needs an emergency response Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for rating, reviewing, all those things you do. I really appreciate it. But if you can, one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise I won't delay any further. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves and back earlier than advertised, folks, we have a bumper week ahead. Uh, I think later on this afternoon, Rick O'Shea is joining us. There is obviously the Raise the Roof campaign for housing and homelessness coalition is is going back on the streets. And I think we'll have uh, many of the speakers and activists behind that join us over the course of the week. And we are hoping to speak to a young woman who has uh, exited homelessness. And I, isn't that an awful phrase? Like, the, as if it was something we all have to go through and then come out the other side. But nonetheless, I think we'll have an in-person interview there, um, working with Rory on a few of these things. So lots to come. And if you are around Friday evening, it's going to be some cracking Ballymun, I can tell you. Uh, we're even bringing down the lads from the attic. So the lads from Shrapnel are, are due down. Uh, it'll be a bit of crack. It, all the f- proceeds are going back to the Ballymun Community Fund. We're not making a penny on it. Hope to see lots of you there. I think the tickets are like 14 quid or whatever it is. So it's cheap as chips anyway for, for a Friday night out. It's eventbrite.ie. Uh, just throw in the old shack. You'll find the tickets there. Grab them and come along and please, please enjoy. I genuinely love the, the live events. I'm not just saying it. It's always, it's always just great to interact with so many great people. And it tends to be the, the worst part is the more uh, qualified people are, are, are in the audience rather than the people doing the interviewing. And that's a dig at myself, folks. Um, anyway. Speaking of more qualified people, um, I am delighted to be joined by the coordinator with the Irish Coalition for Business and Human Rights, Sor- Sorkit, Tony Sorkit. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. No problem. Thanks for asking us. I think it was, um, look, it's it's a funny old world. We're always on, I, I'm too online, as, as I admit all the time, I'm far too online. And I had seen a tweet from Oxfam in relation to another lovely tongue twister, folks, the Corporate Sustainable Due Diligence Directive uh, from the <laughs> EU Commission. And it was more or less saying that Ireland is looking for a an exemption. And uh, we, we should be known as the island of exemptions in many ways. But before we get to that, sorry, mm-hmm. can you t- give, give us an idea of what this european union draft law is supposed to be doing why 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 it's a good thing that we're trying to do it because i'm sure it's if we're i'm sure it's worse as it stands currently and then what we'll get to why ireland is looking for an exemption then yeah no and it is a tongue twister of a name and, and many of them are so the corporate sustainability due diligence directive or the cs triple d is as it's known is a new 
directive coming out of the commission following years of advocacy and activism and, and I think on one of the most engaged issue uh, around business and human rights and the environment. So it's looking at um, mandating with obliging companies to ensure that in their businesses across their whole value chain, so meaning all downstream and upstream, that they look at their impact on human rights, on union rights, on labour rights and on the environment and in bringing their companies in line with the 1.5 commitment of Paris. So it's like to get why do we need it, I think is a good sense, like many of you will know about the impacts many of the multinational companies have on the climate particularly. And if you look at the cases of Shell and why, why we need it is you'll see is that companies don't respect human rights. Many companies don't respect human rights, not all, but many. Um, but also then there, there's there's this real David and Goliath story by by the victims of corporate abuse and their lack of access to justice. So the law has two sides to it. It prevents, it's looking to prevent human rights and environmental harm, but also then if harm happens, um, that we, people have access to justice. And that hasn't really been the case. And if there is access, it's very long. I don't know if you've noticed, but the uh, wives of the shell, some of those died in the shell disaster dropped their case last week because it was just too difficult to prove no. so yeah no, so that's just yeah it was very sad to see um, and, and so that's where I suppose the coalition just to give you a sense of who we are as well um, mm -hmm. and give your Please. listeners a sense we uh, came together I'm the coordinator and I work with all the organisations but we came together because of the impact and we were seeing so many of the development organisations Irish development organisations and international development organisations like Trocra and Oxfam as you've mentioned and Christian Aid and Action Aid came together to say, look, there is no law. There's nothing mandating. So we always, as human rights activists or defenders, we speak to governments to protect, fulfill our rights. But when we look at companies who 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 obligates them to do that? And there isn't much there. There's a lot of voluntary measures that many companies have adhered to, but it's voluntary. So we're at, we've been asking companies to police themselves for a very long time. And if you look at some organizations like Global Witness, they show the impact on environmental defenders. And that's why we have Frontline, one of our big organizations working with human rights defenders. But we've also got unions because a key aspect of human rights violations is lack of respect for union, collective bargaining, et cetera. And then we have a lot of academics in the area because this is a growing area in business and human rights. So we came together really to look for Ireland, firstly, to take this issue and cha champion it, mm. um, but also then for there to be global uh, UN treaty to ensure that there's access to justice and there, that those companies that do vi violate, whether they're extractives, fashion, garment, slave mm. labour, like it's a whole array of issues within this, um, that they are held to account and that they kind of look, we were looking for them to, to prevent them doing the harm. Are we look, I mean, I always tell the same story, but you know, we've covered events, say in Colombia, for for the last mm -hmm. while in terms of, uh, and we've also seen the success of, you know, um, well, the hopefully the success of the new uh, Gustavo Petro's pledges to, mm -hmm. to give to bring about changes, and then we always have to point to the Serahan mine mm -hmm. and say, hey, by the way, the company that owned that are domiciled five kilometers from here in Dublin city center, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, like we are, we are a fulcrum for much of this. And that is an extractive industry, whether mm -hmm. you want to call it neo-colonialism or whether you call it human rights abuse, it's all of those things in, mm -hmm. in, in one package. Can I ask though, in this directive, <laughs> 
<laughs> we're here we are again we're, we're straight back to it ireland along with luxembourg and a couple of others but Ireland seems to be joining with Luxembourg in terms mm-hmm. of its its mentality as to why they are looking for an exemptions to it. So do you, you might we might want to explain that and 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 um, why you guys feel that it it actually would make it uh, would just make it toothless in a way. That's my mm-hmm. words, not yours. But there, there, there you go. No, and and like the as you know, the commission published the law in February, and it's there's loopholes and there's issues with it, but there's some good aspects in it. And one of the aspects was it wasn't perfect, but financial institutions were included in the sense that they would have to do due diligence is the ner- is the name. It's another difficult name, but due diligence meaning looking at the impact of their activities. Um, and they were included in that they would at the beginning of a contract that they would have to look at due, due diligence. That wasn't perfect, and we were looking for that to be expanded and. To make sure that they had to do this ongoing, like so every few months that you look back, like risks evolve and change. So like they don't just start at the beginning of a contract and never change and, and impacts we have you have to be keep looking at. So we wanted that scope expanded in this commission. And we wanted it also, which is in long, we always say in line with international standards, there's a lot of this in from the OECD, et cetera, that include financial institutions as a high-risk industry. And they weren't. So we have garments as high risk, extractives as high risk industries in the commission's directive, but not the financial institutions. So we were looking for Ireland to push to expand this really to ensure. And I suppose it'd be good to say, like, why? Like, and particularly in the week of COP, like we have Oxfam mm. Ireland involved in this, and we, we were looking at their reports recently um, that undertake by French NGOs by PMB Paribas and you can see that their high their carbon footprint is higher than the whole of France so this is a company that has massive greenhouse gas emissions and they won't be included in this directive mm. uh, if if they are exempt and so we haven't had this confirmed by the government or denied by the government or by the minister, Derek Leary, but what we're hearing and what has been reported by Reuters, and we're hearing it on quite solid uh, ground, that Ireland is one of the countries of pushing for uh, asset managers and investors to be exempt. And uh, institutional investors as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which yes. is obviously of a huge, huge interest to anybody who's... who's housing. Uh, yes. It's complete. Like, it's all... It's all of a piece. I mean, we mm-hmm. only saw in the last few days the successful challenge by Patrick Costello of, of the CETA yeah. plan and what that would have... what. And Patrick broke it down with me on Saturday um, just after he'd gotten the judgment by saying... Uh, if, for example, we give these additional protections to these institutional investors and we decide to bring in rent controls, they can say, no, you can't. We, we and, and this is the sort of stuff that we continue to, as a country, um, seek to, for whatever political reason, seek, seek these protections. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and it is concerning, but it's also concerning in terms of, um, you know, some of the, look, again, we're, we're heading into the, um, the world. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, that was a, like, and it's a really good point because, like, and it's coming up. This this directive is being discussed in the parliament at the same time. And in fairness to many of the parliamentarians, they're much more across this issue, particularly MEPs like Laura Walters and others. But looking at the World Cup, like you have construction, which is not in the directive as a high risk sector, and tourism, which uh, has resulted on, I think it's the Guardian, we're reporting that around six and a half thousand 
uh, people have died working for this World Cup. And that's uh, that's 12 a week. And they're the ones that are reported in many countries that have mm. uh, workers there don't have that data to hand. So these I are the spoke, two big industries. I, I, put a, I put out a podcast this morning with Nicholas McGeehan, who spent years um, covering the migrant uh, rights situation in Qatar, yeah. particularly and in other areas, but in the in the in the Emirates as well. And well, the figure sort of six and a half thousand isn't isn't completely to do with construction of stadiums. Yeah. It's to do with the overall um, thing that 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 has taken place during the the bidding process to to get the infrastructure in place. And we don't. And, and he point and he points out it's not. It's actually probably higher because many don't get to be reported because there's mm-hmm. there's a there's a. I think he called it modern day slavery. So I'm not. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm no, that's it. a that's a very valid and, phrase. Yeah, <laughs> and and there, but but like we're going to have companies that will queue up. And be mm-hmm. sponsors, and 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 they'll be on our. Um, they're probably down in the IFSC or along our or along or along the docks, uh, and we will, and they will be queued up for sponsors. So we mm-hmm. we do have soft power here, and Ireland probably more than some because many of them are domiciled here in terms yeah. of the their. This is their, if not their their global base headquarters. It's it tends to be their EU headquarters. Um, so there should be something done. Can I ask? Go back into. Can I go back to mm-hmm. yet again, the um. The Reuters report seems fairly steady. What do they kind of think is the reasoning that um, Ireland and Luxembourg are kind of uh, hemming and hawing about this? Or do I or do I have to speculate? Yeah, I think it'd be like, we're not sure. And I probably wouldn't say as, as yet, but it does seem a, a bit double faced. Like if you look at Ireland and its commitments around human rights and all the work we do globally um, to protect and, and we're at COP, making pledges and et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, behind the scenes, we're looking to exempt companies and investors and banks from the oversight that we're expecting other companies to do, mm-hmm. which I which I think is a valid point as well. But we're, a, we're asking for them to be exempt when we know that they have a massive impact on the climate uh, and that they we also know, and if you look at any of like uh, the World Benchmarking Alliance. We also know that they don't don't take do the right take the right steps. So many, like I think it is only thirty seven percent of leading financial institutions have actually looked at their long term net zero targets, mm. which is really really low. And only two percent have actually translated them into targets. So why uh, is Ireland doing it? I w- I cannot say. Uh, they say that they support the CSDD. They want it to be strong. They want it to be include climate and due diligence. Um, and we we don't understand why they would do this because it actually goes against the kind of well, I, 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 I won't try to drag you into the realm of speculation but we can tell by the other countries involved particularly our, ourselves being close to Luxembourg that there are similarities to economic business models I should yeah. say that, yeah. that 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 would would put that in but one of the things about the, around the due diligence side that's mm-hmm. interesting is the supply chain side yeah. most people never gave a shit about supply chains until the pandemic no one cared even no one gave a damn and then obviously it became a huge thing and and now we see you know it's becoming an even bigger thing when it comes to uh the war in Ukraine and, and how yeah. that's affected impact yeah. and it, uh, this this idea that the companies would have to do that there is there would be a cost incurred to the companies to have to do additional checks. I, I, um Yeah, and no, I I like there is that is one of the arguments that like to, to say many companies support this in in a way, and I don't want to over like uh they, because they're doing it in their own business risk and assessment anyway. So many companies do due diligence on risk of profit, risk to shareholders. It's just we're asking and, and we need for it to include a risk to human rights and risk to the environment. Um it's it's 
generally more and more becoming their obligation and it will be their international under international human rights law as well at some point that they have to do this like the law has passed in other countries uh, so France has a has a law called the loi droit de villageance or something very <laughs> lovely and the Euro- Germans are bringing in the supply chain law mm. um and if you look at businesses i think the the percentage of, of increased costs were very low um and for big companies um that is that is going to be okay and i think this the other unfortunate thing about the this directive is that it it excludes so it's very exclu- like exclusionary on who it's going to conclude so it's only a very high big companies at high mm-hmm. turnover high staff and uh, we wouldn't be supportive of that approach we would be supportive of an approach that looks at the risk of human rights and environmental harm and therefore that's how you're included included so proximity yeah, to risk the, 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 you, you would imagine that would make like i mean if you came in looking for um into one of these financial institutions looking for for, for credit they would assess you on your on, on the risk basis you know exactly. not, not, not not on how tall you are you know no, exactly and that's a really good analogy because that's how like and, and actually in fairness to business many big business including ibac are calling for it to be risk-based because that's what they've been doing for so long okay now i'm um, shocked this is this is a uh, this is a we don't use the visuals on this podcast, but I, I Becker, I Becker in support. So I need a moment. Uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um, it's uh, okay. Um, you, but it's true. You have way, said yeah. you have said that it's riddled with um, loopholes. loopholes. Yeah, yeah. It's it, one of the big one, and and uh, one of the uh, areas is gender that we really want. And I come from the abortion rights work, and we really want uh, to see Ireland. Um, push on this and really take a strong position position because it's gender blind, which for law in 2022 is pretty shocking. For EU law, it's more shocking, I would say. But also, like it's it's data that is reported consistently that women are the most impacted when it comes to corporate impunity. And so, if you're looking talking about supply chains and value chains, you're looking at forced labour, sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, lack of access to justice, lack of access to re- remedy, and also then informal settings, uh, working in informal settings, many of our garment factory, fact, work, factory workers wouldn't be protected by it, have any protections. So it doesn't even mention this in the law. Like you can't, the, if you look at the word gender or women, it's not even in the directive at the moment. And we, we're working with Action Aid and a lot of others to push this very strongly and we really like uh would call on Ireland considering <laughs> all our uh, commitments in gender equality um but you cannot have an instance where companies are coming into other companies that may be domiciled in Ireland who have some gender equality initiatives and gender laws to go to another third world country or another country in the developed world developing world and look to abuse their lack mm. of protections and, and that's the case we have now and we absolutely do. I mean, listeners who, if you're listening for a while, you're, you'll have heard Caroline Otham several times from, from Kenya talking about the situation yeah. and, and she talks about economics through a feminist lens mm-hmm. and how it always is the, you know, this, this is where, this is where it ends. And, you know, we, and there's people, I can, I can, I can hear the bros rolling their eyes, but they always, if you, if your activism isn't feminist, well, then it's not really activism at all, no, you know? So, no. so that, that is, that these are the facts and they're born out. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, though, can I ask on the, um, the, limiting the scope of companies uh, mm. side that is an issue yet again we we come back to it whereby you know it's same same idea if you remember around the minimum co- global corporation tax rates you know you have to be um you have to be of a certain size or, or and you have to be of a certain um turnover 
uh, this is a, it's a similar kind of deal where where they're mm-hmm. turning around and they're saying um, we're going to we're we're going to make it such a way as that that if we can set the bar at a certain level, there's too, not too many that will actually clear it really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and 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 it, you're looking at only one percent of Irish-based companies or Irish companies domiciled or companies domiciled in Ireland, which is around seven hundred companies. Mm. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Yeah. It's not that. Like we see this as game changing, and I think a lot of people will see it as a game changing. We're moving from voluntary to mandatory. But we're missing a lot of uh, companies and entities in the middle um, from that movement. And we need like it's not the like and we, we say this like quite clearly international standards, while not le- on legal setting, are mm. soft law. And they include they either speak of all businesses um, and then it's proportional to the risk or it's risk based. <laughs> so mm. like there's two options. And, and as I like many of us on, on, on many sides of the spectrum are, are saying that this lo- directive, as it's written, not only does it go against international standards and we're also negotiating at the UN for a global treaty. So we need but, this to be, we're talking about level playing fields. That, that, that was my, that was my big question. <laughs> yeah. Should this, is this not something that's really needs to be done at the UN that it has, it needs like exact and same with tax justice, by the way, yeah. and the likes of these practices, they, yeah. they need a UN solution because we know that, they can use the laws in other jurisdictions and call it competitiveness. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And we, I, we just came back to coalition alongside Troker. We're at, we're at the UN negotiations. It's in its eighth year now. Um, now there was, <laughs> I think, a, bit, a little bit of movement where the EU are finally saying they're going to take a position now that they. So this law actually, and and that came through at the UN. The importance of it because this will be. Europe's negotiating position at mm. the UN. And so okay. it will be basically the ha, what we want to see at the global level, which won't be good enough uh, for people from the global south. And and like the UN has many faults and many of us can see them when working it, but but just to be at that treaty negotiation and see so many countries from the global south really call for this. And mm. and so many countries, like we had many activists from Brazil who were um survivors of uh, the the Adam many Adam crashing that a German mm-hmm. company had uh, validated two weeks before collapsed, killing loads, over 700 people, ruining the environment in the area. Um, and they're crying for this law because they have nothing to, they have no ground to go from, like they've mm. no remedy there. You know, so we're just like, it, we're at that point all the time where we're, it, we're talking about climate as a country, we're talking about gender, we're talking about access to justice and f- frontline human rights defenders, unions. Yes, on the global scale, we're quiet enough on these issues. And I think that's where, as a coalition, it's really important, as you said, Ireland is a place where multinational corporations uh, exist and, and they're headquartered, but also it's a country on the global scale that champions itself as a protector of human rights. And we want Ireland to fulfill that kind of um, those two shouldn't mandate. Be, those two things shouldn't be uh, in conflict. No, no, and, and, not at all. And that's and that and that is an obvious issue. And actually, I've a uh, there's a podcast coming out tomorrow with uh, Maiti Goito from Oxfam Brazil. Oh, she's, brilliant. He, she's head of she's head of campaigns and a great conversation with her. And we talked, you know, a little bit about the hope that maybe there is change. It is a deeply polarized society. Mm-hmm. But one of the big issues yet again is, say, for example, and this 
plays into all of this. We're all in the midst of a cost of living crisis. There's talk of the EU, you know, how they're going to tackle it, what they're going to do, supports put in place, supports for businesses. You know, they're sucking up the world's LNG at the moment. Um, and the IMF are saying, don't go austerity route. And yet in Brazil, they're saying, actually, you need uh, you need to uh, auster- austerity your way out of uh, out of your out of your problems. It is it is two worlds like it's very different treatment of, of people in 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 different jurisdictions and mm-hmm. you know so so it is concerning mm-hmm. i i don't i we're going to go down the road and say look it's a start yeah um, like it, it is going to get if it like and i think do you know what it is a start and do you know what's really exciting and encouraging and i think when we as campaigners talk about intersectionality and like these campaigns are bringing together lots of different issues, as we've just seen. And I do think there's a massive uh, citizens push, push on this. There's an EU campaign, Justice is Everyone's Body's Business, at the Irish Coalition, and lo- many, many groups are involved in. Um, and there's a big activism being organised. And, and so there is that sense that this is it could be a game changer, but people are turned on a bit. And that's something that we need to show to the Irish government on this as well, that like, People want this, like there's polling on the, you know, there's right. all that public support there. It's the most engaged with directive. And the EU, again, is hard to engage in. And to see people that are starting to engage in this is is very um, encouraging. But we need Ireland to do a lot more. And there's, uh, that, we, yeah. there's a really simple ask to, to listeners, by the way, if you are if you can. We, we have, you know, it's always there on the site of the who's my mm-hmm. TD and all. You can ask why why we're looking for an exemption. You can ask yeah. the, the, the new, like Derek Cleary's only got his feet back under the table. He could be asked. You yeah. know, uh, it's it's a really simple, it's a really simple thing. I And I would encourage people that we always say it's more of an, it's more activism than a podcast, folks. So that's, uh, that's a little bit of homework for you if you're listening. And I would, I would, I would anticipate that they won't even realize it's an issue until they get those 10 or 15 requests and then they yeah. get 10 or 15 more. And then all of a sudden they, they feel obliged to come back with some sort of talking points. And then we, and then we begin the conversation, but I think it's really important that we at least ask those questions because it's a, there's an opportunity here to do something like you can tell where I'm underwhelmed, but here, there's an opportunity to do something mm-hmm. that starts a process that, that maybe brings us to a better place. Um, Look, so I'm gonna I'm gonna um, leave it there for today, and I, but I would be interested to talk to you again about some mm-hmm. of the, the 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 campaigns that you guys are involved in as well, and yeah. and and we'll see where this one goes. Is there is there a kind of a site you think people should check out if they wanted to get more information? Yeah. So and thanks a million, Tony. And so it's Irish Coalition for Business and Human Rights dot org, <laughs> and then it's also then Justice is Everybody's Business would be the campaigning side where you can take action, you can sign the petition, um, and there's lot there's lots of cases, so you can really get a sense of how this is impacting people's lives, hmm. whether it's about extractive or garments. So it, I'd really encourage people to engage, and then all of our members, National Women's Council, Trocra, Oxfam, Action Aid, we're always on about it and trying to like this is a collaborative approach to campaigning and i think mm. it's really is is one that we can is working so yeah please get involved right so listen folks you, you heard the you heard the call to action we'll be back uh in your feed soon uh as i said um, another conversation coming back from brazil so uh you've got that to look forward to. go back go listen to this morning's one with nicholas mcgeehan because he tells the story of abdullah who is uh who was employed a jordanian palestinian who was employed to work on the campaign by the qatari sovereign wealth fund or whatever they're calling themselves nowadays and he's um his, his family just coincidentally released a statement saying that they held uh, a, a trial 
without him or or uh, any legal representation for him. So an absolute kangaroo court took place some stage over the weekend. So, and then we're all going to go and cheer this day next week. So yeah. we we yeah. have to be we have to be very careful and and understand what we're actually supporting. Uh, and Nicholas has done great work on it. Talk to you all very very soon, folks. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Podcast.